another episode of Square and Compass podcast. This time we are once again, uh, I was going to say south of the border, but I'm from Windsor. So I guess north of the border, uh, visiting some brethren from the United States of America. We have got brother and Dr. Webb. He is a Mason from Ohio. You are the first brother I've spoken with who actually became a Mason during the pandemic. Oh, uh, these fun times. So thank you so much. I'm sure I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that and what that was like. Glad to be here. Thank you. And then we have got, uh, I'm very happy about this. Finally, I have got a brother from Prince Hall, Scott Peppers, brother Scott Peppers. Welcome to uh, the podcast as well. Thank you so much. So the reason that, that this came about is uh, I met with uh, virtually, as all meetings happen nowadays, or at least all of my meetings, have met uh, Dr. Webb on a Zoom, uh, Zoom call for Arizona Oriental Lodges Book Club. Um, I actually talked to Luke Evans on this podcast, but I really uh, enjoyed the discussion we had and, and particularly what Dr. Webb had to say about Freemasonry. I thought it was very uh, prescient and it was just, it was a cool topic of conversation. So I definitely want to touch on that throughout this, this podcast. But first, tell me about uh, Freemasonry right now in, in Ohio. And what was it like joining kind of in the midst of this, uh, this pandemic? So <clears throat> I have nothing to compare it to pre-pandemic, of course. But, um, you know, going in through it, and I, and I came in uniquely in spite of the pandemic, uh, like I was telling you before, you know, I did the one day class where you do all three degrees in uh, one day where they, we had like a dozen different candidates and everything come in. Uh, and this, I'm gonna give your answer, but this is just caveat and leading up to it. Um, where they, you know, they had somebody from the Grand Lodge come down to, to GA. you had 12 candidates, you had one proxy candidate uh, for each degree going through serving the different roles, um, representing all the other 11. Uh, that's a common practice evidently here in Ohio uh, that they try to do at least once a year. Historically, what I understood, they did it in one location, uh, probably the nicest lodge we had in the general area. And they, I heard it could be up to 500 candidates uh, participating uh, once a year. Just, you know, they come from all over the state to do it. But of course, since the pandemic hit, they broke it down and they actually did several of them uh, with a couple weekends um, and in, in a couple different jurisdictions. So like I said, I had no true foreknowledge of what was, you know, expectations or anything uh, leading up to that. But they gave me opportunity. They said, okay, you can go through the normal way with the process, which, you know, each different step, taking the time and doing everything that's required for each different step. Uh, I don't know how much we can actually divulge here, so I'm trying to keep it clean. Um, and, or you can do this one day class and they, uh, they were like with the pandemic and this is where I'm coming back to the answer your question with the pandemic in place before I even got the call back for my petition it had already been two or three months right uh, we didn't know when they were going to be going dark again the Grand Lodge at that particular point this is June July of last year had just gave them special provisions to open back up. Uh, and this just happened to line up when they were scheduling the one day classes and stuff. So in order to 
go ahead and get in the brotherhood and get access to the, the light that I wanted, um, I made a decision after speaking with uh, some of the other brothers to go ahead and do the one day class with the understanding that of my own volition, I would circle back around after the fact to go the formal way from it. Um, there's no requirement to it. Um, you know, I'm full fledged 100% just like everybody else has, but just for my own edification and my own understanding and my own knowledge and my own you know, personal um, values, I want to, you kind of sideways there, <laughs> I want to uh, go back and go through all the steps the way that they're designed to be gone through. Um, so the way I reference myself now kind of jokingly is, you know, I have the light of an EA, but I am a, uh, with the heart of a, of a, of a third step, <laughs> you know. So um, coming through it during the pandemic time though, again, I, I, looked, I was grateful for that particular opportunity because again, I didn't know when they were gonna be shutting back down. I didn't know how long it would be before I got the opportunity to go in there to go through the formal steps and everything. And you know, when 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 I got interested in and in started searching it out and you know, doing my own little stuff to try to inquire about it, you know, I was trying to go full throttle at it and get to it as quick as possible um, for myself. And so I made that decision to go ahead and do the one day class because just for me personally, the way I learned best is give me the big picture and then let me go and fill in the details of it versus the traditional steps of, you know, you only have access to first step, second step, third step uh, materials. And that for me personally, I didn't feel like at the time uh, would be conducive to my learning style versus having access to everything and then going back around and filling in the gaps, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> it does, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Um... This is, uh, this is a kind of a podcast of first. It's the first time we've had a, a brother on who joined during the pandemic. It's also the first time we've had a brother from Prince Hall. It's also the first time we've actually had just two blood brothers on at the same time as well. So heading down to, uh, to your brother, uh, Brother Scott Peppers, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are a Prince Hall Mason, uh, North Carolina, how has that been going? Um, I can tell you here in Ontario, um, since March of this year, or last year, sorry, since March of uh, 2020, our lodges have uh, gone dark. We've not had any in-person meetings. It's all been virtual education and correspondence by letters and telephone calls. Um, how has it been for, for North Carolina Prince Hall? Are you guys meeting via Zoom or in person or kind of what's the, what's going on there? First of all, I'd just like to thank you for letting me uh, come on to your uh, podcast. Um, as far as since the uh, pandemic has started, the, we had, we have gone dark. Uh, a lot of our meetings are uh, virtually, we're doing it on Zoom meetings and we do the same things as y'all are doing with uh, calls and everything. So, I mean, as far as right now, you know, there's no, real in-person uh, as far as Prince Hall is concerned. Are you, um, I guess, what are some of the things that, that Prince Hall has been, been doing then? You, you mentioned increase in Zoom meetings and, and phone calls. Um, I'm not sure what the, the demographics are for, for Prince Hall in, in North Carolina. I know here in Ontario, 
one concern I have as secretary of my affiliate lodge, as secretary of Harmony, is a lot of our members skew to older demographics, um, which obviously puts them more at risk, uh, not only of COVID, but of isolation, uh, uh, you know, the concerns about getting necessities, things like that. Um, I guess, what are like, uh, is Prince Hall uh, in North Carolina, do you guys also skew older? Is there concerns about at-risk populations, things like that? Yeah, I mean, we're pretty concerned as far, where our concerns are that we are not spreading the disease any more than it needs to be spread, especially for our uh, elderly men members, because, you know, those are pretty much our history as far as Prince Hall is concerned. So Dr. Webb, uh, kind of let's get to the, the crux of how it is that you came to be on the podcast, which would be our discussion uh, Oriental. I really enjoyed it. And I think I agreed with you quite a few times because I really appreciated what you had to say. And I thought it was um, very valid points. And, and our primary discussion was about the idea of expectations related to Freemasonry and things like um, potentially requiring um, uh, attendance requirements or diff different work that should be expected of a, a Mason. So I guess even though you're relatively new to the craft, as you said, you know, getting your, your three degrees in the, in the one day during this pandemic, I guess just touch or talk about that a little bit, the idea of, of kind of what expectations in Freemasonry means to you um, and where you see some where you can see that going in the craft or some benefits to to setting some expectations beyond, you know, uh, paying your dues, that type of thing, but having expectations for work or attendance, things of that nature. So what I'm finding is, uh, and it's, I guess you can either call it the blessing in disguise or the silver lining of uh, the circumstance that COVID has presented as far as the craft is concerned from my perspective is that it had given me a lot more exposure much wider than my standard borders that I would have been limited to if the pandemic never happened and the lockdowns had never happened and everything else like that. Via Zoom, via the, all the virtual meetings and stuff that we've been in, uh, I've been in several of them now uh, with, with members from all over the world. And there seems to be a common theme kind of like what we were discussing in the Oriental group um, of masonry as a whole seems to be becoming so, what's the word, so lockstep ritualistic without the rituals in, in the sense of that it's become so mundane that it's cookie cutter, right? You go in there, you do the work, you pay your dues, you might throw in a little bit of education in here, there, you go home, wash, rinse, repeat, the way I heard it uh, expressed. Actually, my LEO just did a lecture on it at our stated meeting uh, last Monday to that very point. And the theme of it is, and kind of what we were discussing was that that just seems to be the accepted expectations of masonry and the potential of masonry is so much more than that. Um, and so one of the things that kind of surprised me when I came into it, and again, 
let me qualify this. I came in during a pandemic time. So I can't sit up and I cannot speak firsthand. My brother has been in for what, 10, 13 years now. So maybe he can speak on to what I'm about to say a little bit more. But um, the, the mysticism of masonry that you hear long before you join, it creates a certain image in your head of what it's gonna be like. Oh, the secrets that you should have access to, you know, the light that you'll be given and just all these different things that you don't know what you don't know when you get in there, but it's part of the things that that will guide somebody into wanting to come and join the brotherhood. And then you come in here and you see that is nothing like what you had imagined at all, right? Not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not what you necessarily imagined on the outside looking in. So you come in here and you're saying, okay, now I should have access to all this different truths and all this different light that, uh, uh, that, that, I have access to now that I didn't have before this. And you come in and there and you're eager and you're driving for it. And then you realize, wait a minute, nobody's there to present it to you. Nobody's there to really show it to you or guide you to it uh, the way that it needs to be. And so that's where I guess what the culture shock for my mentality was, I guess I expected as soon as you come in there that it's like, okay, you do this, you do this, you get this book right here, you learn this right here. Once you have this, now you can go there. And there's that element that is there to it, from what I understand. And again, I'm talking about it from a, a, a pandemic mason, so it might have been there a little bit stronger than what it is now prior to the pandemic. But I'm that type where I've been going out and I've been chasing it down versus, um, you know, the, the formal structure being in place for me to just kind of fall into as a new mason and everything to help ramp me up to speed. And... I thought originally that, okay, this might be unique to my particular lodge just because of the characters that it's made up be. But like I said, in all the Zoom meetings and calls that I've been a part of, I've kind of noticed that same theme going around there, that the teaching isn't there the way it used to be. They're not using masonry, the craft itself, to the fullest extent of what it should be. So this caveats into what we were talking about in the Oriental aspect of things, of the standards, right? Me, okay, I've been a Mason for all of 10 minutes. Eight of them have been dark because of the pandemic. I get it, right? But to me, I think there should be a standard that is put in place, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. They can define their own standards, but at least put some kind of standard in place other than paying your annual dues that will give a value to the craft that will make brothers want to come and be more than just uh, uh, warm bodies on the sideline, more than just, you know I mean? Coming in there and filling in seats, they, it, give them something to do. Give us something, somewhere to work, give us some direction, help us get there and help, you know what I mean? To give us that drive and that passion for the craft back. And I think when we were on Oriental, you mentioned, you know, make it something even as simple as, okay, you have to come to at least three meetings a year. Okay, we understand you got your, 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 you know, your vocations that come for us, family comes for God, comfort. we understand all that, but you can't tell me specifically speaking that the vast majority of brothers can't make it to three meetings a year, right? If that's the standard that the jurisdiction decided to put in place. Um, but you don't, you know, uh, uh, the example I think I had mentioned at the time was that, you know, I think we have 500 members on our books. I might've seen 1% of them. 
Now, again, we're talking about in pandemic, but from what I understand, that's probably really wasn't much different numbers pre-pandemic stuff. So what is it that's keeping the vast majority of the brothers from coming and participating in the craft? And if it has truly turned into that cookie cutter recipe that I mentioned in the beginning of this rant, then I can kind of see why they would start to step back because everybody isn't going to necessarily have that passion, that drive to go out and seek and gain and put themselves in the position to receive that life, right? Now, I understand that everything isn't just going to be handed to you. You have to show some effort, right? That's your that's your reasonable part is to show some kind of effort into uh, to getting that light. But once you've shown your interest and your desire to drive in that direction, I feel like there should be a formal system in place for you to drop into that can help you instead of nitpicking and piecemealing and putting it all together. Yeah, I agree, agree completely. Uh, uh, Brother Peppers, what are your thoughts kind of from the, the Prince Hall perspective? I'm not sure. To my knowledge, in Ontario, um, Prince Hall has kind of the same requirements as uh, as Blue Lodge in that there's no there's no meeting requirements or attendance requirements or anything like that. Um, to my knowledge, the only place in Masonry presently where those those standards exist is somewhere in South America. I can't think of where, but at the Philippines, I know the Philippines has a, a three meeting attendance requirement. Um, otherwise you're suspended from, from Lodge. I guess from the, the Prince Hall perspective, um, kind of what are your thoughts just in general on what your Masonic brother and, and blood brother uh, was saying? Uh, I think that uh, on that aspect, um, I would have to kind of beg to differ on the, you know, three meetings a year or whatever. I mean, for me, I hadn't been at a uh, in a lodge meeting for a while because mainly I was in school and you know I had you know a lot of stuff going on with uh, family going on and you know trying to take care of other business and stuff like that. Um, as far as educational benefit, one of the big things, and I would have to caveat on what uh, my brother said, is that uh, you know it was kind of hard to find find that information that you're looking for. You know, I remember when I when I had first joined, you know, me and the guys that I was with, you know, we we were on we was on this magic carpet ride. You know, we were sitting up there and we were thinking, you know, okay, what once we get into the house, you know, how do we what are we gonna know? And you know, we were rubbing our hands together and stuff like that. And then once we got in got in there, you know, it kind of things kind of like died off a little bit. You know, it was just like, okay, now we're in here. And I remember for myself, I had asked a guy, and I was like, um, I says, uh, so what do I need to know? What do I need to read in order to, you know, learn how to be where you're at? You're at. And uh, the guy just looked at me, and he goes, you know, I already know it. It's your job to go find it. You know, and then... To me, it felt like I was on a wild goose chase. I mean, it was kind of disappointing because, you know, you go into something and you go in there, you get it, you get into something and you try to be knowledgeable about what it's all about. And then when someone, you know, kind of like gives you that answer, you just kind of like, okay, so where do I go now? You know, you kind of... 
and I know from my from my aspect, you know, I was the part of the last large class that came through. Now I've helped to push a couple of guys through in my lodge, and it was like you know in twos and threes, but it's not as as uh, grand as it used to be. Like my uncle used to tell me, you know. So is it? Um, I'm trying to think how to put it. Hold on one sec. My audio is being funny. Oh, there we go. Is it? Um, so the, the issue with, with attendance, for example, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if, so from, uh, I'm a, a secretary of Harmony Lodge and I've seen it even before as a member, mm-hmm. uh, a member for 13 years where, you know, John Smith joins and then you see him a couple of times and it's not just that you never see him again. Um, it's that nobody... Like there's no connection anymore between him and the lodge. There's no real correspondence or communication. Um, you know, I we found out in, in our lodge that you know a brother had been sick and passed away, and we didn't know for years. Mm. Um, so I wonder if you know creating an attendance requirement of three meetings a year, it doesn't necessarily mean that they attend three meetings a year or they're suspended. It, it could mean that depending on the lodge, but what it could mean is that if you're not able to make your three meetings a year, you know, you had better maintain contact and explain why you can't and, and keep the lodge up to date on what's going on. You know, because, you know, for me, because Freemasonry is just connected to me, I'm always thinking about, you know, if I get hit by a bus, knock on wood, mm-hmm. and find myself in the hospital, who will inform the lodge mm-hmm. that, um, I'm in the hospital, who will uh, let them know where they can reach me if they need to reach me. Um, you know, if I pass away, knock on wood again, I, I make sure yeah. in my will, I explain what happens to my Masonic regalia and my Masonic items. Mm-hmm. I just think the one benefit of an attendance requirement or something to that effect is oh. it will force members to remain in touch with the lodge and explain their absences. Um, I don't know what you get, what you would think about about that, but you know, at the very least, some type of of if not attendance requirement, then contact requirement or relationship requirement. There needs to be a standard relationship between the members and the lodge. I, would, I agree with you on that. I think that you know, if uh, calling talking to somebody at the lodge would be good because you can sit there and you can actually you know, keeping in contact. And my lodge has, has been good with that. You know, every once in a while, you know, I get a call from one of the brothers from the lodge and we'll sit up there and we'll, you know, shoot the breeze with each other. And then, you know, we all, we have a tendency to know what's up in each other's lives. But I mean, it, but then again, you, and this is one of the things that I had seen when I was uh, in was, uh, you know, you, you do have those brothers that, that, join just so that they can wear the the compass in the square you know and you know the only thing that they want to be able to do is flaunt on their car or tattoo it on their body or whatever that compass in the square and i mean so you kind of at some point in time you have to you have to you know just sit there and just kind of say okay 
where are we at? You know, what is it that do we are we uh, getting rid of brothers because they're not performing, or are we getting rid of? Are we just? Uh, are we just? I mean, I, I'm kind of stuck at, stuck on worries. Let me go. Let me go to Maurice real quick, and then I'll, I'll be back with you. So, <laughs> so I, I guess I need to also express one thing. Um, you know, and I, and I should have said that don't say my lodge, my brothers are amazing. Okay, I, I just wanted. I don't want there to be any misconstruing. Like I'm a disgruntled with my brothers at my lodge or anything else like that. My boys are my, they're great. I love every last one of them. Of course, you have those ones that step up a little bit more than the other ones uh, do. I think that's natural in any kind of relationship. More so what I'm talking about, though, with this whole situation is the thing that separates masonry from everything else, right? Kind of to, 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 to pick up on what my brother was just talking about. If we're just talking about being able to wear the regalia, if we're just talking about being able to gather together as the fraternity, if we're just talking about being able to hang out, drink, drinking beers together, shooting pool together, whatever the case is, there are plenty of other organizations that you can go and have that kind of camaraderie, fellowship, regalia, and everything else in, right? There's something special about the square and compass and what it's supposed to represent and what's supposed to come with it. And so that's really what I'm talking about is my desires, my, I guess my young expectations, even though I'm still young in the, in the craft and hopeful and everything else, but where I hope to see it go to where it lives up to its fullest potential. Yes, have the fellowship. That's a key component of it. Yes, you know, have the, the, the social gatherings, have all those things. Those are wonderful, but that should not be the, the primary focus of it, right? You got the work that we do, wonderful, right? But that is cookie cut, should be, for the most part, right? I think you're on mute. I couldn't hear if you said something. No, like you said something. Oh, no, like, oh okay. Um, that's cookie cut. But that stuff outside of the work that brings the greater essence of light in place, that's the stuff that I'm talking about, right? as far as that angle of it is concerned. As far as what we're talking about, the standards, all I'm saying is if you go to any other organization, and you mentioned this on the, uh, on the Oriental uh, Book Club call, and you are absolutely right. If you go to virtually any other organization, they have standards in place to where if you don't live up to this standard, no matter how minuscule it is, you are showing that you don't necessarily have the, the, the passion to be a part of whatever that particular organization is. And my concern is, now granted, we've been around forever and a day, right? So this could be a completely moot point. But my concern is, since we're to the point now where it's kind of a, as long as you pay your dues, you're a member in good standing, come if you want to, don't come if you want to, you're going to lose the quality, the value that, that masonry as the craft as a whole is supposed to hold that draws men to it that is supposed to be that key component in helping make good men into better men, right? 
Again, if they're coming in there and they're seeing the same mundane cookie, they don't see the passion. Because guess what? The guys that have been in, in the craft for 20, 30, 40 years, they've seen it all. They're not going to have that same passion level as the new guys might, right? So me coming in as a new guy, I'm feeding off of that energy, right? And if their energy isn't up, it's not going to show the regular new guy the value that they need to seek, the why they want to continue to be a part of. So that's why I say the standards thing is to you give it some kind of value that make the men that want to be there to do the work, to engage with it. Like we were talking about on another call, the 80-20, you know, put that standard in place so that you can get the quality work that you want to and, and add the value back to it that needs to be there for the brothers of the craft. Uh, yes. Oh no, go ahead, Scott. You were you were talking. You throw it over to uh, to Maurice. So keep going yeah. with your original thought. Um, I, I had some people talking in the background. It was just distracting. But uh, the thing is, is you know, a lot of for me, uh, it was the education I aspect for, it. and I think that some people that come into masonry that uh, when they first when they first get into it, they're expecting for, you know, a big door to open up and then, you know, you end up, you see Howard uh, uh, Abib step out, you know, and then he bestows on you all these, you know, all this knowledge and stuff like that. I think uh, if it wasn't for my brother, you know, joining in Ohio, I would have not known about, you know, your podcast. I wouldn't have known about the Masonic Book Club. I wouldn't have known about a lot of the other different things that are out there for people who are actually seeking that knowledge about Masonry, you know, that are within the within the uh, Masonic order. So it, to me, I when I uh, when I see brothers that are, you know, they're they're coming in. I think that some of them kind of get disappointed, you know, because they're expecting one thing, but they're getting something else, you know, and, it, and I, I had heard from, you know, a couple of brothers that were, that have went through, you know, same time that I went through and they were, you know, they were like, you know, what, what's going on here, you know, well, isn't there supposed to be a little bit more that, that we shouldn't be uh, knowing, but then I, when I, while I was in, I, you know, I understood the, the value of masonry at that point in time, because for us in Prince Hall, especially down here on the East Coast, you know, we do a lot for our community, you know, and we're, we're very community-based. We're, we're trying to uh, make sure that at the beginning of every school year the, that the kids are, are uh, getting book bags and coats and stuff like that. And then during the, uh, during the course of the summer, we do, uh, we do fundraisers to, you know, fundraisers for, you know, the uh, elderly and stuff like that. And we, we give, we do give a lot to our, our community and everything. So, I mean, I don't know if that is actually what you're, what you're looking for or. Well, that's, that, that brings up the question of, uh, guarding the the west gate which is okay. kind of the phrase that we use here for vetting of candidates and vetting of, of applicants okay. and you know just like you talked about where you, you joined with some brethren who perhaps had 
different conceptions and became disappointed. Um, you know, that's something we hear, we, we've heard commonly from our Grand Lodge, which is the need to carefully vet applicants, not just for the sake of the Lodge, but for their sake too, because we don't want them to join something with preconceived notions and then be disappointed because um, that's a, a waste of, you know, both the Lodge's time, but their time too. If they join something, we want them to join something that they will be um, excited to be a part of and kind of get what was expected. Mm-hmm. But, but let me jump in there. How do you do that if we're not allowed to give them any of the information ahead of time about what goes on? So that's a very that, fine line. We're not crossing over, right? So again, and that goes back to kind of what I was throwing to of the the mysticism of masonry when you don't know have a clue about it versus when you enter into it. Now, what I when I entered into it, you know, what I've been exposed to is great. Don't get me wrong, not knocking it. It's just not what my preconception was, is all I'm saying, right? And that's fine because I wasn't supposed to have any preconception. You know, I wasn't supposed to have any true knowledge of the way that it was supposed to go before I actually got in and joined it, right? That's the way that the system is designed. So to do what y'all are talking about and what you're saying that your Grand Lodge is talking about, based on my limited understanding, that seems to be a, a direct contradiction because we can't give anybody that's not a member any heads up about what goes on in, in the Blue Room when they have expectations, but you're saying, hey, you know what? We need to at least give them a little clue so they don't come in here with unrealistic expectations. You're, I don't think you can help but to get that. And honestly, it's a good vetting tool because you know the ones that, that, that leave like right off the bat because it wasn't what they're expecting, they probably weren't there for the right reason to start with, right? So, I mean, you got a certain percentage that you're not gonna uh, re- want to retain anyway, and they're doing you a favor by, by jumping ship early. So is the, yeah, and that's always, you know, there, there's always the issue of, of you can never know for sure um, until somebody joins the type of, of Mason they will be or whether they will, because there is a level of very important and, and you know, relevant secrecy to degree work and, and things of that nature, um, there, there's always going to be that question uh, of, of uh, how much, you know, of how much you can know. I think Grant, our Grand Lodge uh, kind of referenced it more in the sense of not necessarily understanding the secrets or ritual, quote unquote, but getting to know the people within the Lodge and the Lodge itself. So, for example, our Grand Lodge recommends, um, you know, a significant period of time between an application and the actual initiation. And, and during that time, there should be attendance at barbecues and and meetings with different masons and kind of the lodge gets to know the the applicant and vice versa uh, and the hope is especially if you have some perhaps older brethren or experienced brethren they can kind of get a sense of will this person enjoy the experience as much well, as you can understand that i don't know if, is scott uh, i mean when i first started when i first went in uh to masonry um it, we did the exact same thing. I had to go to barbecues. I had to go to, uh, um, you know, we had uh, this thing that was happening one night that I had to show up at. And, that, you know, it it was, I remember there was a, one or two guys that were like, you know, what they're treating us like, you know, like we're kids and stuff like that. 
and I understood why they were doing it. But, you know, my focus was, and this is one of the things that I said when I, when I first got, uh, took that third step and I was talking to the East at the time, I said, you know, now that I am here and I'm amongst the crowd, you know, how can we get other people to be a part of the craft? And the reason why I was saying that was because, you know, I remember my uncle was sitting up there saying that when he was in the class, he was in the class of like 120. You know, when I was in my class, which at the time it was the largest class within, I want to say they told us within uh, 15 years, I was in the class of eight. So drastically the numbers have dropped, you know, and I mean, I've heard stories from some of the older Masons and they were telling, you know, what had happened during the uh, 70s, 80s and 90s. And I, I think that a lot of, I think that, you know, just going back to what I was saying before, you know, the numbers being so low that, the, that these kids, are sit, these people are sitting up there and they're expecting this, but they're eventually they get this. And I think that, you know, based off of where you're saying you're guarding the West Gate, you know, okay, I understand, you know, you're guarding the West Gate. And me personally, I don't give out any information whatsoever, you know, but if a person is coming up to me and they're asking me questions, my first question to any person is, what are you looking for? You know, and I always, and I, I've had several guys that I've known when I was in the Navy and stuff like that. I bring them to the house and I did this with my brother when I was talking to him and I showed him, you know, my plaques up on the wall and everything. And I said, are you here to get a plaque? Are you here to get, you know, just be able to put this on the car or whatever you, whatever. I said, if you're looking for that, this is not the place for you, you know, so that way they can, you know, start building in their mind, okay, whatever I'm actually looking for, maybe this is not the place for. Now, I mean, I might have, you know, got rid of some people, whatnot, but then again, you know, why would why would, you know, you want them to waste the money to get to this point? You see what I'm saying? Now you got to turn back around. You now you have to turn back around and you have to be worried that they go back and they start telling things that they shouldn't be telling, you know, and half of the stuff, there was a book that I was reading, uh, I forget what it was, when I first uh, uh, became a Mason, there was a guy who was telling me about it, he was like, yeah, pick up this book right here first, and it was uh, Born in Blood, that was, the, that was the name of the book, so I, I was sitting up there and I started reading the book, and basically the book started out, Am I talking too much? No, no, keep going, keep going. The book started out, you know, yeah, where I was yeah, sitting well, there and well. I was just, you know, you're talking to the guy and you kind of, I mean, you li you're reading this guy's thoughts as he's going through the steps, the first step, the second step, all the way up to the third step. And you start, and I, I, for myself, I started, uh, started understanding, okay, yeah, this is how I kind of felt, you know. Once I got to that point, you know, I'm just sitting up there and I'm like, okay, now where, what's going on at this point right here? 
you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, put too much out there because I know we're on podcasts and everything. But after I had became a part of the craft and I started working amongst the craft, I understood more of what the craft was as far as masonry is concerned. And I always wondered why they called it a fraternity. Now I know what the fraternity, what the mention, what the meaning of fraternity is. But then again, how can we get the numbers brought back up to where our fraternity is a fraternity of good men? You understand where I'm at? Go ahead. And I really like that idea. Um, the, the issue of that, that tension between the desire for new members and bringing the, the numbers up versus making sure that, you know, you're bringing the right members in and you're not just bringing guys in who want to wear a square and compass, but don't necessarily want to attend lodge or do any, any work necessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I like that because I think that is that kind of goes to the expectations talk and it just goes to a lot of the a lot of what you're seeing in, in Freemasonry right now is, is attention because there is this desire to bring in members and bring in dues to cover the cost of a lodge or a temple. Um, but not necessarily as much concern sometimes about will they be a quote unquote quality member and that's not to, to be derisive in the sense that you know. I, I should not um, go to work in, a, in an auto shop because I can't fix anything to save my life, right? It doesn't make me a bad person. It just means that is not a skill set I possess. Mm -hmm. um, so I shouldn't be trusted to work on anybody's car. It seems like you, with, with Freemasonry, sometimes there's this idea that everybody, everybody can, can join and, and it'll be for everybody. But not everybody just by their nature may enjoy it or may mm -hmm. the patience for it or may want to be a part of it. Um, and, you know, some brethren will say, and as some of the older guys will say, you can never know, you know, you kind of got to give everybody a shot because some might surprise you. But the downside is if you give everybody a shot and the majority end up not, or even uh, a big enough percentage end up not enjoying it or finding it not for them, just like you said, they may feel lied to or misled, or they may go out and speak negatively of the craft. Whereas it may be better to, at the start, just say, you know, what are you looking to get out of this? What are you looking to give to this? Um, and, you know, this may not, depending on what you're looking for, this may not be the right fit for you. Not to say, you know, anything negative about you. It's just, you know, just no different. It's, I guess that's which is Freemasonry a skilled endeavor like music, carpentry, building things that some people will have skills for, some people won't, and aptitude for, or mm -hmm. is it something that everybody can can join and be a part of? Every well, man. Well, the thing is, and based off of that last statement that you made, you know, everybody Masonry is not for everybody. You know this as well as I know. You know. Just like what we were sitting up there and we were just discussing, we're sitting up there and we're saying that, you know, okay, if you get a member into, into your house, is this member going to be productive? 
Now, what what is his what is his productivity going to be? You know, is it going to be? You know, is he an education uh, person that can teach? Is he a person that can that can do well with uh, kids? Is he a person that can you know do maintenance on the building? Because you know a lot of it, a lot of our lodges down here on the uh, down in the east need some serious maintenance maintenance done. But I, the other thing that I've seen, I've seen a couple of Masonic halls just die. You know, the the, the attendance is so crying low that you know they just fizzle out. So then my question is, and I don't know, I've never been to uh, Ontario or anything. But what is what are y'all's uh, numbers looking looking like up in that area? Well, I mean that's kind of the reason I started this this podcast in Square and Compass is uh, they're not they're not great. Uh, you know, you the, the rose colored glasses approach is to say that they've gone up and they have over the last couple of years, but that increase is nowhere near. Uh, making up for the historic decrease we've seen, uh, you know, at our height. So 1959 was the last year that we saw overall an increase in Masonic um, enrollment in Ontario. So it's decreased every year since 1959. There have been, you know, pockets where you've seen, like, for example, my lodge, Harmony Lodge, has increased our membership and attendance in the last couple of years before the pandemic but it's these these the general trend is downward so we've gone from a hundred thousand to thirty three thousand um in so, since 19 mid 1950s and the the thirty three thousand is still dropping and so that you know there's lots of of causes and reasons and and um you know, I've talked with them a lot on this podcast, but that brings me back to the expectations piece. I wonder how much of how much of this drop is the consequence of um, allowing people to join, but not setting any expectations for them. So what happens is, you know, if if enough people join, but they don't feel they need to attend or they don't feel they need to necessarily do good work in order to remain a Mason. They just need to pay their dues. Uh, if that's the case and they pay their dues and they never attend, the next group that come up, they see what's happening. They see people not attending and they start to feel like, well, this isn't really a growing organization. I'm not going to tell my friends or my family about this because, you know, in a lodge of 100 people, we have, you know, 15, 20 showing up. So they don't promote it. And obviously promotion, you know, I'm not saying they, they're handled applications, but they don't talk about what it means to them or how it's important to them or how it matters to them. You know, and so uh, it's just domino effect. I know going off of that uh, point right there that you're saying uh, promotion-wise, I had a discussion with a guy, this is right after I put it, uh, took my third step and I uh, I was sitting up there and, you know, I, I'm happy. I'm elated about, you know, being a part of a, an organization. And this guy that I was talking to, he said, he was sitting up there and he just started talking about how he knew more about the, uh, the craft than I did. You know, he didn't say the craft, but he was just saying, you know, I know more about masonry than you do. And I'm not even a mason. 
And I was sitting up there and I was telling him, I said, you know, I, I was like, well, what is it that you know? You know, tell me what you know so that, you know, see where we at up on this thing. What I realized, and it was not just with him, it was with uh, several other people too. I realized that there is so much misinformation that's out there about the, about the order. And there's so much, you know, I've heard everything from nothing but there are a bunch of devil worshipers to uh, rapists and killers and stuff like that. They're saying that we're part of the Illuminati and all that stuff. And I'm sitting out there, I was like, I've never heard anything like that, you know, but go ahead and tell me what, what you know. You know, and I never, you know, interject what I know into what they're doing because you're not supposed to fight with them over it. You're supposed to just let them think what they think and then you move on about your business. I it's think always you know, the, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I found it's it's always the next level with 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 uh, conspiracy theorists. So I've met the same type of people who have the same ideas, and you know I'll tell them I'm a Mason, and I've not seen anything like that, and they'll say, well, just wait, you're not in the inner circle. So, you know, you get your first degree, then you get your second degree, then you get your third degree, then you become a master, then you, you know, you, but no matter what level you're at, you're never at that inner circle. It's always, oh, you'll see when you're at the next level. And it's, at a certain yeah. point, you, you, I mean, that's how all conspiracy theories work, right? Mm -hmm. Is, but yeah, that, that does affect the craft as well as is those things out there and kind of how they can proliferate on social media. Well, uh, actually, um, not, not to cut y'all off, but that's actually one of the things that kind of piqued my interest because I was hearing those same types of conversations from people who weren't in it, yet I knew a couple people that were in it, my brother, my uncle, my grandfather, and the, the conspiracy theories about what it was about versus the reality of what the character of men I know them to be didn't line up. Right, especially my grandfather and, and, and my uncle and everything else like that. We came from a very religious family, um, you know, and the conspiracy mysticism of it, all, you know, all the, 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 the Illuminati talking, all the rest of it that he just mentioned and stuff, those characteristics of a type of person that would do those types of things did not match up in any way, form, or fashion to anybody that I've known that I've known they've been a member of masonry so I what I told myself was and this again this is about a year ago a little bit a little bit under a year ago but I told myself was instead of getting information and misinformation from people who have not been a part of it and have no clue of it and who are getting bits and pieces of it from you know books they've come across in some kind of perspective let me join it for myself find out what it's really about and if it's about some old mess that I'm not, you know, about, then I can, you know, I'll step out of it, you know, because I'm not going to have any part of no foolish mess. But if it matches up to what the character of the men I knew that were part of it is, then that's something that I, that I wholeheartedly want to be a part of. And like I said, I mean, I've been a part of it since I think September is when I got, you know, did my third step and everything. Um, 
in the modified pandemic masonry and everything, but from what I can tell so far with my limited exposure to it, it's a very good organization full of very good men. My, my, my worship East, my East, my, 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 every officer I have, you know, we just did new installations and everything else like that, but every, everybody I've come in contact with it, um, have been wonderful men. Uh, you got different characters across the board. You got different personalities across the board, but they've all been wonderful men. That's been the consistent thing for it. And I've been I've been privileged to meet them, right? I, I've but never is, got that spooky, spooky feeling from any of them. Is that kind of um, almost what you described? Is is you know represents kind of a symptom of the problem of declining membership, in the sense that when you heard these kind of the conspiracy theories and the the spooky stuff on the internet you had connections with other masons with your grandfather with um you know your family you had family connections and you knew people who were masons so you were able to say that doesn't line up with what i know about masons within my life and the way they represent themselves so there's something wrong here and i'm going to investigate for myself but, you know, as, you know, younger and younger generations come up and as membership declines and declines, they may not have those same connections. So they may hear the spooky stories, but they may not have a grandfather or a father or a family member who was a Mason, or they may not know any Masons to see the other side. So is that, is that another danger of declining membership, which is... We don't have as many people to fight those those conspiracies just by their just by their actions and behaviors. But if we're not, if you're not, sorry, Scott, if you're not allowed to combat it, then you really are kind of you're kind of exposed to that, right? We're not allowed, like you just said, we're not allowed to go out there and 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 say, hey, no, you're wrong. You, I don't know where you got that from. You're full of it. Right. We're not allowed to do that. Again, you let them think what they want to think and you move on. You know, anybody who wants to, to know the truth, you know, to be one, uh, ask one. You know, we all know that. Right. So you're kind of setting yourself up when you have that as a policy. And I'm not knocking it. It's been a policy from my understanding since the existence of the, of the craft or whatever. But you're setting yourself up to be a target in that capacity and the reason why it might not be as why it's more detrimental now in today's time versus when it was first instituted is because information travels like that literally around the world right before it was in pockets right so your knowledge your understanding your exposure to anything masonic good or bad was based upon a geographical pocket that you were stuck in and limited to right now we hop on something like this, we're talking to somebody 30 time zones away in a flash, information, misinformation travels just as fast, if not faster than information does, right? So now the misinformation is being exposed to all the Google Masons, is being exposed to all the Amazon book Masons, is being exposed to all those Cowans and eavesdroppers and everything that are just dropping in and trying to hear and getting bits and pieces and, and or, or taking the few bad examples of the ones that might've got, you know, kicked out for unmasonic uh, behavior or something like that. And they're using them as the example to represent the whole craft 
right? And it's misinformation. But guess what? The truth, we can't even tell them that by policy, we can't expose to them and say, hey, your, your thoughts are misguided. So we're, we're victims of our own policy in today's time, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, Scott, do you want to add? I can add to, to that too. I mean, some parts of what he's saying is, uh, are true, you know, because we're not, <laughs> we don't really, uh, we don't really defend ourselves on some of those aspects. You know, we have a tendency to sit up there and, you know, be like, uh, well, this is what I learned. Well, I mean, we will, we're very closed mouth. I know for Prince Hall, for Prince Hall, we're closed mouth about some of those things. And when it's time to defend ourselves, we, we're taking a lot of shots. And then you get these, you get these people, just like what I was telling you about this one guy, you know, and he's a good guy and everything, but he's so full of uh, misinformation and he only, he's only going to go by what he knows and then he's going to spread what he knows to somebody else, you know, and then, you know, and I'm, you know, he's on my Facebook and all that and other stuff too. And then they they uh, start posting stuff on Facebook and you know this that and the other. This is why you shouldn't do it, whatever. And it's like, you know, how do we how do we protect ourselves? I wonder. Um, the policy, I've I've always been suspect of the idea that there was ever a, a policy of, uh, you know, I think. Back in, because in, my whole family are Masons, going to my, my great-grandfathers, you know, going back to, to, you know, the 1950s and even the 1920s, Freemasonry was so ubiquitous, you kind of didn't need to discuss it. People, you know, one at the time, you know, for example, about 10% of the adult male population in the United States were Freemasons. Mm-hmm. And Ontario, there was 100,000 Freemasons, over 100,000 at its height. So the idea that, you know, a Mason would need to, to defend him or defend the craft against kind of slander or conspiracy theories, you wouldn't have to because it was just so ubiquitous. Everybody knew a Mason and you could just see the way they carried themselves in public and acted and charitable works. Even just a, a, a temple being you know, very well maintained, it sent a message as to what the craft truly was. I think that as our numbers have uh, dropped, you know, we, we've forgotten that maybe, it's not that Masons were, didn't talk about the craft back in the day, it's that they didn't have to as much because it was just so ubiquitous and so well known. I think we, we mistook them not speaking for the assumption that they didn't want to. It's more that it wasn't necessary. You know, my dad, he, my dad described masonry in, in his time because his father was a mason as being he didn't he said it wasn't secretive it was quiet is how he described it he said <laughs> it wasn't a secret everybody knew you know that his father was a mason and when he would leave the house with his black bag everybody knew where he was going and everybody knew what the masonic temple was and who were masons in the town but because everybody knew they didn't need to talk about it mm-hmm. it just was a fact of life but i think now that our numbers have dropped Maybe we need to recognize that, you know, it's okay to talk about it. You don't give out secrets or, or anything like that, but you can talk about its importance in your life and why it matters. And yes, that there's some misinformation out there. 
So where, where I'm getting my stance from, uh, you know, I've had to do a lot of reading on my own, like I said, especially, you know, even though we're, we're, we're working right now, uh, we did spend months dark, you know, they did shut us down a couple of times and stuff like that. So I've had to get a lot of my um, knowledge, I guess, from reading books. And one of those books that I, that I read that I actually got that part about us not being able to talk about it was, I recommend it, honestly, uh, it's written for anybody. It's actually written for people that support Masons, like Wives and whoever else has had an interest in it, is, is Masons for Dummies, right? Um, and he goes through and he goes through the history of the craft and everything else like that and gives a lot of information. But that's one of the things that he actually pointed out was that we can't, that we're not supposed to defend it um, when it's being attacked like that. So that's where I got that particular thing from. Now, I know jurisdiction versus jurisdiction versus jurisdiction, you know, depending on what's in your constitution, bylaws, and the rest of it might be different. But, you know, I, I know there's certain things that hold true pretty much across the board. And I assume that, that one was one of them. But it sounds like from what you're saying, that might not necessarily be true. Yeah, I, I've never heard any, any, well, I've, I've heard Masons, especially of, you know, older generation, kind of have a prohibition against speaking about the craft in general. Um, their idea being that you, you know, it shouldn't be talked about at all. Whether whether somebody denigrates it or speaks positively of it, you should just kind of quietly go about your your business. Uh, but I, you know, I I think that that was always observed more in the breach than in practice. I think in practice, people always knew, when it was so big, people always knew about what masonry was and what it meant to a community. Um, yeah, yeah I've like, actually heard that expressed, uh, you know, just to dovetail with what you're saying, I heard it expressed that we're not a secret organization. We're an organization with secrets. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, you can't sit up there and say it's a secret organization where your temple is right there on Main Street, <laughs> you know, the, one of the largest buildings on Main Street and, and Masonic temples written right across the border. Obviously, you're not trying to hide anything. But I, I think the idea of, and part of where that misinformation comes from is the imaginations when they hear secret society, you know I mean? They got secrets, they got stuff they can't share. And so, you know, people's minds go wild with that. And then that's where they come up with a conspiracy theory and stuff like that. Uh, if we're allowed to to speak against it and defend it, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to until I get a little bit more light, just in general. Uh, me personally, I reserve having conversations with anybody, not, you know, on the third step, because I'm not trying to misstep, right? Um, in my conversations and stuff until I get a little bit more educated and experienced in the craft as a whole and a little bit more skilled with my conversations to not members. Um, which is why you hear me stuttering a lot here because I start to say something I'm like, well, wait a minute, that might not be allowed, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do have a true desire to gain, to learn as much as I possibly can about it and, and not only for myself, but to learn what I can do to benefit it, to help it, to help it become better as a whole. Um, again, unique situation because all I have is the pandemic expectations of it. So I, that's not the full blown thing. I know that's not the full blown thing. We haven't been able to do the charity work that, that, that is you know, so known for and everything else like that. Uh, and I'm looking forward to a time when we, we can get back to those types of works and, and look at the grander picture of masonry as a whole. But I did. I did want to just circle back around to what you were, um, 
talking about before we transitioned into this line of thought when you were talking about the membership and the headcount and the years and the decline and stuff. So just this past Monday, we had our stated and our LEO during the education part of it, he actually spoke kind of to that point. And interesting tidbit that he brought out was well, two, two things, really. He was talking about, um, would you rather have a nice, hot, piping pizza? Or he said, would you like to have a cracker with tomato sauce on it or ketchup on it? Which is nasty. I, you know, evidently some people eat that. But to me, it was nasty analogy. <laughs> but his point were they're both bread bases. They're both tomato sauces on it. But you're still always going to choose that hot pipe and pizza every time. And so that's what he was saying as far as masonry as a whole. You know, and I was really glad to hear him talking this direction because he's really trying to, you know, he's doing a good job in trying to establish that everything that I've been talking about, which unbeknownst to me until Monday, he's actually been working behind the scenes to get it put in place because he's a new LEO. So I'm really looking forward to where my particular temple is going as far as that type of stuff is uh, concerned. Uh, the second part of that was one of the things that he brought out in his, in his education lecture was that all the spikes in the numbers came after major events in the US specifically, after the wars, after whatever pandemic happened in place, after some national event happened and came to a close, there were major surges and spikes in the, the crowd. And his point was, when we get on the backside of COVID, the likelihood, if it holds the same pattern, is that we're going to get another spike, right? And if we get that secondary spike after COVID, doing a full circle back to where we started at, we have to have something in place for the new brothers that are coming in to help them get engaged and to help grow the craft as a whole versus coming in again, doing the cookie cutter thing to them and losing a certain percentage of it and saying, that's an acceptable loss level. That's actually something I wanted to touch on that, that you brought up um, because not only are you both uh, Masonic brothers and also uh, blood brothers, but you're also uh, armed forces brothers both in the navy um, which you know i've had a, a soldier on here before and an historian and you know i brought up the the fact that you know the two great kind of spikes in masonic membership came after world war one and world war two mm -hmm. um, actually uh it's an interesting side note uh so i'm in a a wheelchair. I'm missing both of my legs above the knee. The reason in Ontario that I'm allowed to be a Mason is because after World War One, uh, so pre World War One, the rule was you had to be a quote unquote whole man to to join a Masonic lodge, which meant you have to have all four of your limbs. Um, and after World War One, in the 1920s, there was a a large number of veterans applying for membership in Masonic lodges, and many of them were missing limbs from the war, um, arms or legs or, or whatever. So they actually changed the rule and allowed amputees to join because of the number of veterans uh, applying. But I guess, does it, um, from your experiences in the armed forces, first, do you find that there's a correlation between those experiences and Masonic experiences? And also, do you find it surprising or, or not that so many veterans coming back from World War One and World War Two would seek out lodge uh, membership and and kind of drive numbers up. I know Scott, you've been a Mason for 
a uh, lot longer than your brother. So I don't know if you're gonna take that first. <laughs> yeah, um, especially with uh, with us. I was with the Marine Corps for a long time. So you, you build a lot of camaraderie with your Marine brothers and stuff like that. And I would say that, that, uh, and I actually believe it or not, I belong to a Marine lodge, you know, and you can tell that it's the camaraderie amongst the brother Marine vices, uh, normal civilian that has never been a part of any type of uh, armed forces that you have a much closer and tighter bond with each other. So I know when, uh, when, especially when I was going through and I was part of my class, I was the only Navy person there, but I was so close with these guys by being, you know, serving with them in uh, two tours in Iraq and, you know, going to, to um, Japan and, you know, going all these places with these guys, I knew how they thought. And that's basically what you're saying is that, you know, we share a brotherhood that, you know, it's just, it's a bond that that you're not really going to break. You know, if if you're a true military member. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I know for us, a lot of us guys, we were. uh, I knew a couple of uh, Mason Marine guys when I was in, and uh, when we were sitting up there, we would just I would talk to them. You know, they would they were really hush hush about some stuff. But you could see them as they were walking off, you know, they're sitting up there and they're chit-chatting. And that was something that I really wanted to be a part of at that at that time. And when I became a part of that, that just drew me closer with my Marine brothers even more because of the way that we all thought. You know, I'm in the foxhole with you, and you know, I'm gonna protect, I'm gonna protect you, and I'm praying that you're gonna protect me. <laughs> Absolutely, Doctor, uh, Doctor, uh, Doctor Webb. Do you want to? Because you're also uh, a veteran, so uh, with the armed forces. So I guess same question: How is your experiences within? Do you find that there's a translation between your your experience in the armed forces and masonry? And I mean, do you find it surprising or, or kind of expected that you would see uh, an increase in membership after World War One and World War Two, and and a desire for veterans to join the craft in such numbers? Uh, I got out back in 1999, so, um, you know, I haven't even been in the military this century. <laughs> Makes me sound older than I really am, but uh, I, I, I honestly, I can see, I do see why uh, very easily I can see why it would be sought out. Because for the very reasons that my brother was just expressing that that camaraderie, that brotherhood, that 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 brother of another mother mentality um, that exists and that is naturally created in the military by being forced into proximity with each other, 
you know, there's very similar with the brothers when you come in and you start networking and you join the craft and everything. And that's a beautiful thing. I love that aspect about it, right? Um, so I very easily see the translation, the translation and the desire to go, especially if they hear the word fraternity and brotherhood and learn about the network and stuff. I can see why that would entice uh, uh, an ex-military whatever branch to come in and join the craft. Um, but again, you can also get that by joining any other kind of organization, that one particular aspect of it. So my hope and my desire and my thought process is, okay, so when you come into the craft, what sets us apart from all the rest of it? What sets us apart from the, the, with the Moosehead Lodge? What sets us apart from the Elks? What sets us apart from any kind of sports team um, or, or whatever the case is? What sets the craft apart, right? And where is the value add that we that sets us apart? You know, and I'm bringing our conversation back to a full circle. That's where we're talking about. We got to make sure that the ones who are existing in here now are re-energized for those who have lost the energy, who have started going through the humdrum motions of everything. Make sure the new brothers like myself who are coming in have something to engage in in a direct path, clear path to go on. Um, to help increase our maturity in the Masonic order. And then for those brothers who are coming behind us, you know, when they do finally come in there and come between those doors, they can see that energy and it's an energy they want to join in and they can help perpetuate that energy instead of it just being coming in there, flaring up and then fizzing out. And like you said before, you know, never seeing them again or just, you know, flashing the regalia and being done with them. And that does bring up the, the, the point too, I mentioned we saw the the you know increase fueled by veterans coming back from World War One, coming back from World War Two. Interestingly, and I I don't know what this says either about the changing kind of military culture or, or changing maybe just society or masonry changing. Uh, we didn't see that same increase after, for example, uh, Vietnam or Korea or even, you know, more recently uh, in the Middle East, um, we didn't see that same, that same. Uh, was it not to the same level or was it not a surge at all? To my, uh, to my knowledge, at least the most recent, I know that there was no, no surge, at least in Ontario, to my knowledge, no surge um, of veterans coming back and, and joining. I don't know about Vietnam. I know there wasn't a surge. There may have been some who joined, but I've, I've not seen any evidence that there was any surge um, in, in the States of, of Vietnam veterans joining lodges. I could be wrong. If I am, and anybody's watching this uh, in the comments who might know differently, leave, leave a comment. But I did find that interesting. And that goes to what you brought up before about the spikes in membership after great um, national events. You know, that was true in the 1920s. That was true in the, the 1950s. I'm not sure if that's still true today because, you know, we have had a few national uh, tragedies or, or kind of uh, Canada-US national events, but they've not necessarily seen uh, an increase in, in Masonic membership uh, or, or that spike like you saw in the 1920s and in the 1950s. I think it, it probably not to obviously not to those levels. Um, I, I'll grant you that, but I bet if somebody went and did the research, uh, that they would see something, right? Uh, 
you know, instead of spiking like this, it might have spiked like this, but, you know, it's still some kind of search there. And, you know, my LEO, when he was talking about, about it on Monday, his point was that after the pandemic, you know, and everybody's, you know, done being claustrophobic, you know, they're going to be looking for something to come and engage in and, and to, you know, kind of stretch their wings out up and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I would have to and, I, and I hope he's right. I would have to beg to differ on that because uh, with just by seeing how society now has started to change, I, I think that most people are, you know, most most people are more afraid to be a part of a of a of a group like that. I think that people are more that that is too. What's the term I'm trying to use? Basically, what I feel is it's too much computerized. You know, with masonry, you have to actually get out there and do something, and you need to be in each other's face. Uh, but with People nowadays, it's more of, you know, don't bother me. I want to be left alone. I don't want you to, you know, do, you know, be in my face. I don't want to be at, at your barbecue, you know, and stuff like that. And they're, they're very solitary. You know, that's the that's the word I'm trying to look for. They don't, it, it's, I think. Antisocial. Antisocial. There you go. I think with them, they're just, they just don't want to, uh, it's not in them anymore. I know with uh, Granddaddy and uh, with Uncle Tim, you know, you I used to sit down and I would be wowed by, you know, some of the conversations that we would have. And I would be sitting up there and I would be like, you know, man, they, they're talking on, on about something. I don't know what they're talking about, but, you know, I want to be a part of that. You know, and then when I became, you know, a Mason myself, you know, I was able to talk on some of those levels just like they did and i was just like you know okay and i i i kind of would you know peek around to see if somebody's actually you know listening in or something like that and people they don't listen in they don't care you know it's, so, they so just, you're disappointed there's no cowens and eavesdroppers out there so. <laughs> you know when i when you decided to make your uh, appearance in the uh, masonic order and when i made decided to make my appearance we actually listened and there was something that we heard or there was something that we saw that actually made us want to go in that direction. Now, yeah, I remember. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I remember I've told this story in Lodge a few times growing up. So my dad was a, a Freemason, fairly active, and he worked, uh, he worked at the rail yard. So he would, you know, wake up around 536 to get ready for work. And I remember I'd be, you know, in my bedroom and you know, sleeping or whatever it is, I'd wake up and I'd hear my dad um, at the kitchen counter or wherever it is talking to himself, right? For days and days and, and days. And it's only when I joined that I realized what he was doing. Is doing he, was, yeah. <laughs> he was doing his memory work, getting ready for his degrees or his time as a worshipful master. Um, you know, at the time, I thought my dad was crazy. I still do think he's crazy, but <laughs> the, um, yeah, that idea of, of just the, the listening in in the sense of, it, it, it was fun to hear my dad talk about Freemasonry or to listen in, and obviously you don't get all the secrets and nor should you, but yeah, the enjoyment of, of you know, 
hearing conversations about something that you want to be a part of one day um, was was something I I appreciated. And hearing him, you know, it's always fun hearing him talk to himself first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that actually triggered a thought. Um, actually, Scotty just triggered it when he was just talking. And, and I don't give him a lot of credit, but sometimes he comes out with some gems. And <laughs> every night of blue moon, he'll come out with a gym, right? And so that was one of them. And you make a very, very good point um, about just a different mentality of, of people today versus then. And the thought that it triggered was when I went to the, the temple to do my um, tour before I, you know, before I petitioned and everything, um, you know, the, the, the worshipful master came down and he, you know, he was giving us the tour himself. He wasn't the one that was supposed to. He just happened to be there. It was a fellowship lodge, whatever. And so he kind of came up, introduced himself to me. And there was one other guy that was there with me and stuff and giving us the, the, the lodge. Now, we have an old lodge. Right, which means we have a whole bunch of historic stuff. We have uh, some of the original Knight Templar um, armories and suits, and we have a lot of old books and stuff like that. Our lodge is over 200 years old, right? So one of the things that he was showing me that he was impressed upon, and of course it didn't have the same impact on me at the time, was a poster board on the lodge, on, on the wall, in the hallway as you go through it, and it had a particular class for a year. Don't remember what year it was, but that year they had brought in 152 brothers to the third degree. And I re don't re I, I remember the impact of him saying it because I didn't understand the relevance of what he meant by it at the time until after I had been through the third degree myself to realize what he was referring to. But the point of it is, is that it's a completely different mindset. They had a whole lot less distractions back in the day than what we have today, which is the point of what I'm trying to say. You know, so, so masonry and the craft as a whole was, that was what they look forward to for their entertainment or for whatever other purposes, for their break from their workday, from their family struggles and everything else, they had to look forward to the craft. And so they put everything they had into it. And so they look forward to going to work in that capacity where today, you know, you got social media, you got video gamers, you got, you know, sports, you got all everything else as a distraction competing. But that being said, again, that turns us right back around to what triggered this conversation to start with. How do we put the value back into the craft itself to compete with all that other entertainment stuff out there and in a more wholesome way? Because it's not just entertaining in the craft. It actually had, serves a valuable purpose. But you have to be able to show that value and, and, and implement that value into the new members so that they're willing to stay and join in and, and are motivated by it versus, like I said, just coming in there, cookie cutter, cookie cutter, cookie cutter, warm body, pay my dues, go home, be done with it. Well, I mean, also, I, I would have to also uh, caveat on it too, is that there are some parts of that oath that we had taken on that second degree and third degree for me, you know, for my lodge that a lot of these uh, guys nowadays, they can't own up to. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there are things that, you know, that I had to affirm to that I had to let, you know, let them know that, hey, look, you know, 
this is the way it is. And a lot of people nowadays, they don't want to stand by those standards no more. You know, they want to be free to live the life that they want to live and they want to do whatever they want to do. And they don't want to they don't want to be held to any type of. uh, uh, I don't know the word, but I mean, they don't want to be held to, you know, and I I know I was sitting up there. I was talking to one dude and he was sitting up there and he was like, you know, I could be a Mason if I want to. And I looked at him. I was like, "Uh, no, you can't because masonry does not with what you do no they it's not a part of what you what you do you know what i'm saying so that caveats into is it are we talking about quality members or quantity of members yeah. right i understand you have to have a certain quantity to meet the financial obligations and needs i get that but if you have to cut back on some stuff to get a quality in my mind might be worth it right if no, the value no. in, is there as far as the order is concerned. And, and the whole... Oh, go ahead. No, no. I mean, we, me and him, we're getting ready to have an argument, right? Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brothers. That's why I told you to bring him on. <laughs> <laughs> That's always that, that interesting question, though. The quality versus quantity, the... You know, I... I and actually, uh, Doctor, if you'd be able to speak from this uh, as a doctor of, of theology, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of, of how to put it. One thing I've noticed in uh, Masonic circles, and I've seen this maybe, I, I do not go to church near as much as I should, first admit that, but um, this idea of, of you know, so long as I am something in my heart, then that's that's sufficient. So, like in Freemasonry, I've I've had members say, you know, I don't need to attend lodge because in my day to day life I live like a Mason, so therefore I don't need to attend lodge or anything like that. Um, and even sometimes you, I get that sense when I'm talking to an applicant about a supreme being. I'll say, you know, do you believe in a supreme being? He'll say yes, but he'll describe it more in the sense of spiritual as opposed to any type of, you know, he, there's no, there's no attendance at church or events. It's all this idea of, you know, it can be what, whatever I need it to be. Um, and that's my, that's what I know about Freemasonry is this idea that some people have just like uh, what brother Pepper said is this idea of, um, you know, I, I can be a Mason on my own terms. So I can I can be a Mason, but not attend or not contribute or not maintain contact with the lodge. But it's okay because I'm being a Mason in my way, you know. And then that leads to sometimes brethren will will not pay their dues, but still claim to be a Mason because they live life, you know, like a Mason, whatever that means. Does this sound dangerous and close? Like you letting him convert you if you're thinking that ain't happening, is it? I don't know. Brother Pepper seems like a smart fella. It's Brother Pepper's character. The thing is, is okay, let's go with, with Maurice's uh, quantity versus quality. Uh, I would have to say that for masonry, I would go more with the quality of the person, not the quantity of people that we need, that we, you want to have in there. That's what I'm saying. 
is to, you know, and I know Maurice plays devil's advocate all the time, even though he's a preacher. Uh, the, the thing is, is when you're looking at the quality of that person and you're saying to yourself, and I, I know there was a guy that I was sitting up there and I was just like, should I talk to him on it? Should I, you know, hey, look, come over here for a second and what it, what's your mindset about this and the third? But then when you, when you, when I, what I usually do is I'll sit back and I'll watch them probably about a good couple of weeks or whatever. Then I start formulating my own ideas about how this person is. And then I realize that that quality of that person is not worth the quantity that we need. So then we're looking at it as it's dangerous to put too many in, but it's not productive to have not enough in. Yeah, I get you. It's a fine line. But in the same token, right, one of the edits is we make good men into better men. Right? Can we agree on that? You can't, if you see that there's a person who is, he might talk good, he might, he might, you know, do a lot of things, but if he, if you're sitting up there and you're, and you're talking to him on a level that is basically what I'm saying is if you're looking at his, at his walk, Mm -hmm. you're paying attention to how he's making his steps and you're paying attention to uh to how he stands then you'll start making judgment as to do i actually put this person on the compass in the square you do you get where i'm coming from cameron i do i do i like um i like a word you used uh, you said it was dangerous. And I, I like that word because I think it goes to kind of what the craft is or what the craft could be viewed as. So to use a military example, um, even if I had both my legs, for example, I probably shouldn't be in the Marines because I'm very lazy and I'm not very fit and I don't like to be cold and wet. Like, it would be dangerous to put me as a, a Marine because, you know, being a Marine is an incredibly important and, and honorable thing. And the people who are in it should be of the highest caliber. That's just what um, we tell them. It ain't true. Well, I'm assuming it's, it's true. Cause I don't think uh, even with legs, I, I'm a wuss. So I don't think I make a good Marine, but you know, the, the reason the, the standards are so high in the armed forces for anything, right. Is because it's dangerous to, allow somebody in who is not up to that standard because Ooh, you know back my side. I, hear you. I know where you're going go ahead because because lives are, are on the line and i think very often in freemasonry we forget how important it is and i think that sometimes we have this idea because you know lives aren't literally on the line or you know it's just a club it's just a group um, we forget that it's dangerous to allow people in who maybe aren't up to those aren't up to certain standards and that's not to say they are quote unquote you know bad people by any means it's just they may not be the right fit for freemasonry 
just as somebody might not be the right fit for the armed forces. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means it's dangerous to, to allow, to create lax standards, to let them in. And the same way, you know, maybe lives, maybe lives aren't on the line in Freemasonry, but in a sense they are because a strong Masonic lodge, a strong Masonic temple, it makes lives better. It protects people from things like suicide, depression. It protects people from Alzheimer's. So it's important enough that having lax standards of attendance or memorization work, it is dangerous, in my opinion, to the craft and to the members. Yep. So one of the things that they taught us, and I remember when I was uh, on, I forget which, it was second step I was on, um, they told us, it was this old guy came, came in and he gave us a speech and he handed us a piece of yellow tape with black writing on it. And he said, this is something that you should always remember. And that piece of yellow tape on there said one word. It said caution. And he said, whenever you're talking, whenever you're listening, whenever you're <clears throat> engaging with somebody, he said, always exercise that word. And that's where, when I was telling, when I was talking to you about, you know, when I'll be talking to some of the, the guys that I would think, and this is when I first got into masonry, I would, you know, I was really gung-ho about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. I want to make him a masonry. But then I had to go back to my black briefcase and I opened it up and I looked and I had that piece of yellow tape that was sitting in front of me and it said, caution. And that was one thing that I always remembered was caution because we don't want to end up making masonry into a, into a farce. We don't want to have it to a point where we're sitting up there and, you know, somebody, a cow and the eavesdropper comes in and he says, Hey, look, uh, I know about what's going on and they can tell you everything that went on in the last meeting that you went to. When we first started this conversation, what were we talking about? Me and Maurice, we was, our main uh, discussion was education. And when, while we're sitting up there and we're talking about education, the education about it is, is how do we make, how do we make these good decisions to get, those good people, good men, and turn them into better men. So now it sounds like you're back on the quality aspect versus the quantity. But I'm not going for, I'm not, I want quantity, but we have to have good quality. Just like where, Con, where uh, Cameron was sitting over there talking about, he said that, uh, what was it, 1959, you said? That was the highest number of Masons that were made at that time? That, that was the last year that you saw an increase in numbers. It, it wasn't quite the highest because, um, you know, there had been other years where, you know, you saw like an increase of, of 10 or 20,000 members in a year. So 1959, it was the last year you saw an increase. It wasn't as much as other years, but it was the last year you saw the number go up. After that, it's been going down. So going off of that, off of what you're saying, we need to start looking at how can we increase these numbers back? How can we get the numbers up, but still have a good quality of candidates 
to apply. I mean, that realistic though? Is having both of them realistic, right? Or is it more realistic to say, okay, the numbers that spiked in 59 and, and all the other years that we mentioned and stuff created a bloated environment. It was a bubble basically. Now that bubble is popped and now it needs to right size itself. So we might need to trim the fat in some areas in order to sustain the value and the quality, right? Not have as much expenditure as what's in place right now. Um, but so we've, we've trimmed the fat, but we got the quality of men and we got the integrity in place. You know what I mean? Idealistically, best case scenario, yes, we got the numbers and all the numbers or the majority of the numbers are the quality, right? Reality is we both, we've all been on this world for a long time. You know, me and you a little bit longer than camera, but I'm sure he's even noticed that no matter what organization he's seen or been a part of, you very rarely have the quantity and the quality there together, right? There, there's a certain percentage that goes with it. So realistically, we can expect, even if after the COVID things, uh, uh, my LEO is right and we do get a spike, right? Say that spike comes, a pretty high percentage of those people aren't necessarily going to be a true Masonic quality. Right. That's why we got, you know, the investigation committee. That's why we got all these things is to try to help weed some of that out. But you really want to do your best to get that quality. And I think that's what needs to be focused on, even if it means saying no to some petitions, even if it means we got to cut out some of the work that we're doing so that we can do the other work even better and prioritize. Right. That right. all goes back to education, too. Agreed educating these guys if you're not teaching these guys you're not trying to put something uh if you're not doing something to keep the interest of these guys you're going to end up losing these guys you know us as and i'm just talking from my from what i've seen on my side of things <laughs> us we You remember what I was telling you about the, the whole, uh, that little book that I told you about? Yeah, yeah. And as long as you remember everything inside of that book, you can pass on to the, you know, get passes. It's, it's cliff notes. You know what I'm saying? But it's just like when I was in, when I was in school, when you was in school, if you had a good instructor, if you had a good teacher that was sitting up there telling you, okay, this is what you need to study out of the book. He knows about the cliff notes, but he won't, he test you on everything that's not in the cliff notes. You, do you get where I'm coming from? So, so if I'm understanding you right, you're basically saying that the way that we get the quality and the quantity is by having that superior education in place. So when the when the quantity comes in, we educate them into a quality. Yeah, I do believe. I believe that. Where you go, where you going? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you're going to end up having those people that are just they're not into it. They don't want to know no more than what they already know, and then. They'll walk away from, yeah. and then you have those people that are in there. And I'm, I mean, I know some guys that are in it that they only know one thing, you know, 
and then you sit there and you're looking at it and you're looking at him like, okay, well, can you tell me more about what's going on? And we're we're on the same level. We, I mean, you can we can talk freely. And they sit there and they look at you and they be like, hmm. you see what I'm saying? So then you're sitting there and you're like, okay. And it goes back to what I was telling you about that that conversation I had with that one guy when I first became a, a, a took my third step. I sat there and I was like, well, what am I? What do I need to know? What do I read? And the only per only thing that person could tell me was, I know it. You, it's your job to find it. And then you're sitting up there and you're left lost. So now you you you're searching in the dark for some light, but you don't even know which door handle to turn because you can't see. So if that's the case, and that that increased the risk of losing even the quality that you possibly have in there. You know, you get a, you get a quality man to come in there. You don't education now. You're losing him, which you know is counterproductive. I would have I would beg to differ because if you were to teach that person, you know that person is sitting there. If you want, if you were to teach that person and say, hey, "Look, this is what we want you to to know," or "This is what you should not." No, not just what we want you to know, but this is what you should know. That makes a better quality of person. I would much rather be with a person who be standing beside a person who knows how to shoot and what direction to shoot in than to be sitting there with somebody who's holding the gun right there and they're flagging you with it. You know what I'm saying? But we're saying the same thing. And you find it in the wrong direction. Yeah, I mean, you were saying the same thing. What I was saying was just the the opposite of it. Basically, if you don't educate that person, you stand the risk of losing them. If you do educate that person, you know, you increase your chances of building that quality, uh, brother, and increasing the the craft as a whole. Yeah, I agree with you with that. And I hope that. Uh... Any brethren or anybody who's interested in masonry uh, who, who've been watching this have found it as educational as I have. Um, He's thank you guys. Are you hear that? He's trying to get rid of us. <laughs> you can, you can keep, this, I think, has actually been my longest. Uh, I think this has got to be close to my longest podcast. My longest podcast, I think, so far was about an hour and 22 minutes. So Where you we guys, I have no idea how long we've been on here. A fair bit of time. What do you guys have coming up uh, masonically? I know, uh, Dr. Webb, you said you got your next your next uh, state of meeting coming up in Ohio. You guys are meeting again. No, no. Uh, so we went dark over the holidays, uh, and then we went virtual back in uh, starting January, and then so we did our very first in person again, um, official in person again, just this past Monday. Um, you know, so we, we, you know, I mean, but we've implemented all the state CDC regulations, right? You know, we're social distancing and, and, and you know, we've cut out the, uh, the fellowship aspect of it, which is sad, but understandable, right? Um, but, you know, everybody, if you're not wearing your mask, you can't come in, you know, that type of stuff. And a lot of the other um, stuff that is ingrained with it has been cut out. Um, but we're trying to still do the skeleton work uh, that needs to be done. 
and you know, and, and at least we can see each other. And that's what it's really about. It's come together with your with your brothers that you ain't seen in a long time and just enjoying their company. Even if we can't enjoy it the way that we want to enjoy it, at least being there in their presence to some degree and talking to them face to face, it brings some sense of uh, satisfaction to it um, until we can get back to a full swing of thing. Um, so I, I think as long, as long as in this area, we don't go back to, um, you know, like purple or whatever the state's, you know, COVID uh, levels are, uh, the, the Grand Lodge left it up to each individual um, temple or, or lodge. And Brother Pepper's uh, Prince Hall meeting virtually. Yeah, we're still going to be uh, meeting uh, virtually for a while. And uh, eventually the word is going to get passed to us when we can uh, meet back up in person again. So I'm looking forward to that also. And I'm looking forward to getting back on the podcast with you again, Cameron. You know, I've already got a, I'll tell you off, uh, off camera, Cameron, uh, but I've already got a really good topic for our next one. If you uh, don't ban us forever from this one. <laughs> I would love to have you guys back. I don't. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any brothers or or, or sisters myself. I'm. A, I'm an only child. Um, if you ask my mom, it's because I was perfect. If you ask my dad, it's because I was so annoying. He didn't want to risk the second one. I suspect it's probably the latter. That's true. So it's always fun to have some brotherly interaction, both masonically and uh, familiarly, on the uh, on the podcast. But no, it's been great. I've enjoyed this uh, a lot i'm hoping that the border opens up soon um and then maybe one day i'll get down to ohio and north carolina get to meet with you guys and visit you guys in person yeah I, i'm still looking forward to going and, and uh, checking out the other side of the house in north carolina now that i'm able to uh, i've only been in ohio for like four years or whatever so and uh, so i haven't even been able to engage in the North Carolina aspect of it at all, but I, you know, I plan on as soon as things open back up, you know, doing that um, as, as time and everything else permit. So, yeah. But but as far as you coming down here, by all means, and if I can make it up your way, believe I, I'm, I'm in route. You are absolutely welcome, <laughs> both of uh, both of you. Okay, I would love to have you down here, camera, anytime. Very cool. Uh, with that. Uh, Anybody, uh, everybody watching this or listening to this, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Podbeam, hit the uh, follow button so you can keep up to date with all of our episodes. We're also publishing some articles on medium.com. And if you want to give me money because I'm broke, you can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash square and compass and you can give me money to help uh, produce the podcast. Um, every week and get some cool swag and all that good stuff. And with that, thank you uh, both Dr. Webb, uh, brother and Dr. Webb and uh, Brother Peppers for being on the podcast. Greatly appreciated. Absolutely enjoyed it, Cameron. Thank you for inviting us.